The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Penetrating. You might not be hearing, so you better get away from that. that put away that, that, that filthiness and that wickedness so you might hear the word of God. And then he ends all of that in verse 21. He tells us that that implanted word is able to save your souls. Receiving the word so that your soul might be saved. So that's not just some pithy little proverb you see there in verse 19. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And you We've used it that way, it's preached that way, but it's always connected to the Word of God. Hearing the Word. Be quick to listen there in verse 19. And then receiving the Word in verse 21. The implanted Word. Hearing the Word. Receiving the Word. And then in verse 22, be doers of the Word. And not hearers only. The Word is received that's the first part we saw last week in 19 through 21, receiving the Word. And today we'll look at practicing the Word or doing the Word. What goes in was last week. What comes out is this week. You've got to be diligent in taking it in. That's what you're here today for. And, and you've noticed if you're new here that, that everything that's been done here today is just penetrated by the Word of God. How many times have we read Scripture today? Five, six times. More? Be diligent about taking the Word in. And then as the text today declares, beginning of verse 22, be diligent in applying that Word. So let's just look at these verses. First, verse 22. Be doers of the word, or but be doers of the word. The word but is important because it connects us to what's before. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. True story. As a young pastor, young pastors, um, a lot of times they want to change so fast and so they don't last long at their churches, at least their first churches. Come out of seminary, you're all fired up and you go to a church that's 150 years old and and they don't move as fast as you want to move. And you come in to, and, and you try to make all those changes. And you're bold and you're brash. And, well, this guy um, heard this story a while back. It, that People would compliment. He was a good preacher. He'd be at the door after the sermon. People would come and grieve and say, that was a really good sermon. And he'd look at him instead of saying thank you. He'd say, but did it do any good? And he would always say that. Did it do any good? Now... He was bold and brash in other ways, and he really only lasted 16 months. But that's a good question for us to ask ourselves. Did the word I heard today or the word I studied today at my home, did it do any good? Did it change me? Listening to it is very, very important. Reading it is very, very important. We've we got to begin there. That's the starting point. We can't succeed in the Christian life apart from a regular intake of the Word of God. But while we must always begin with taking in the Word of God, we can't stop there. We must apply what we've 
heard. And that's James's meaning, and it's very, very clear. Just as the person who has no interest in hearing the word of God has horribly deceived in themselves and jeopardized their own spiritual condition, the person who's content and not to hear and not obey equally jeopardizing their spiritual condition. To fall short of that is to deceive yourself. He says, deceiving yourselves. We deceive ourselves into thinking, I've been here, I've heard the word, I'm okay, I'm okay with God. Yeah, no problem with me. I heard the word today. When actually the reality of your faith, that you actually are okay with God, is demonstrated by your life beyond hearing the word. A life of obedience. James says in chapter 4, verse 17, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Oh, listen, this chapter 1, this is just introduction to the hard stuff. The next three or four chapters. Jesus said, Matthew 12, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And you remember in Luke 11, maybe you don't, uh, but in Luke 11, that woman that yelled at Jesus while he was teaching? Now you think about the status of women back in those days, that this was quite bold. Luke 11:27. And he said these things, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed, it's an act of worship, really. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And those words, the word hear there, that's the present tense in the Greek. That's that's continually. And hear the word of God and keep it. It's present tense. It's continually on and on and on. And Jesus says in, in John thirteen seventeen, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Present tense, continually, on and on and on. Stuart, Stuart Briscoe, an old Presbyterian preacher out west, uh, was teaching on the principles of Bible study. Um, and uh, he, he, he showed the class he was teaching how to pick out the promises of God and how to pick out the commands of Scripture and talked about what to do with them. And finally, he asked the class, he says, so what do you do with the commands of God? And a little old lady raised her hand and said, I I underline mine in blue. Well, that makes for a pretty Bible, especially in my case, because I see blue better than other colors. But the point is to obey them. Warren Wiersbe says, Too many Christians mark their Bibles, but their Bibles never mark them. If you think you're spiritual because you hear the Word, then you're only kidding yourself. Take comfort in the fact that you've heard God's Word when you haven't done God's Word is just, James says this, not frank, deceiving yourself. That phrase, not hearers only... That's a phrase you see in ancient Greek literature that talks about people who attend lectures, but they never join the group. In other words, you've got uh, an an ancient 
teacher in a, in a lecture hall lecturing about his, his way, whatever his way may be. Uh, but if, you're, if, you, if you choose not to become a disciple as a result of that lecture, then that's what he's talking about, not hearers only. You're just a hearer only. You haven't joined in. And what James is telling us is hearing the truth is not enough. Believers must act on it. There's an example of that actually in Acts chapter 19, beginning of verse 8. And he entered the synagogue, and for th- about, talking about Paul, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew for them. Now, those, those, the, the, some of them, the stubborn and continued in their disbelief, that's what he's talking about. They're hearers only. They didn't sign up. Uh, he withdrew from them and took the disciples, the disciples, the ones that were hearers and doers, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. They heard. All of them heard. Not all of them became disciples. When listening is an end in itself, there's rarely any benefit from it. That's why we at Grace preach expositional sermons. They're longer than most. But you don't just get a brief talk on the latest topic. Like, how to be a better husband. Let me throw in a few verses, then it'll sound like a sermon. How to handle your finances. There are a couple verses about that. I can throw those in that sound like, or whatever it is. It's verse by verse exposition. Exposition. Exposing what God says in His Word. We want to be very clear that we're sitting under the teaching of this book and not the creative talk of some man who happened to go to school. We're all under the instruction of God's Word. But just to listen, we're in grave danger. We're in danger of never being changed by it. And I know people, even here, even here today, not been changed by it and have listened regularly, listened for years, been in these same seats for years and years. And every year it's harder and harder and harder for the Word to change your life. And your heart becomes harder and harder and harder. Spurgeon said, I fear that we have many, I fear we have many such in all congregations, admiring hearers, affectionate hearers, attached hearers, but all the while unblessed hearers because they are not doers of the word. Remember we looked at uh, Matthew 13 last week, we looked at the parable of the weeds, and Jesus said, kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed seed in in his field. And he talked about some of them uh, falling on, uh, on the hard path. 
It talked about some of them falling on the rocky ground and some of the seed falling on where the thorns had grown up and some of it actually fell on good soil. Well, the hard path, this is the sad thing, this is the devastating thing about being a preacher. The the path is where the farmer walks. And remember I told you that we preachers, we're just farmers. We're just the ones scattering the seed. And the path is where the farmer walks. And every year it gets harder and harder and harder. It never becomes good ground. Hearts get harder and harder and harder the more you plant the seed. James Moffat said, if you, and if you don't have a copy of the Moffat translation, it, it's, in, it's encouraging and lightning. He's a great man. A teacher or a preacher may give an eloquent address on the gospel or explain ably some Old Testament prophecy about Christ, but when the sermon is done, it is not done. Something remains to be done by the hearers in life. If they content themselves with sentimental admiration or with enjoying the emotional or mental treat, they need not imagine that this is religion, meaning Christianity. This verse, verse 22, is really the central verse of this letter James wrote. And he tells us, make sure you're not self-deceived. That's, there's the, the severity of this is that you deceive yourself. If somebody else is deceiving you, you, chances are you can figure it out. But if you're deceiving yourself, that's very dangerous. Because you won't notice. So you come to church and you sit under the Word. You hear a good message. You walk out the door and you immediately say to your friend, where are you watching the Super Bowl tonight? It's gone just that fast. You just heard the message. It's all you did. I doubt you were changed by it. And that's what James is saying. If you're hearing it, you're pretty much, if you're just hearing it, you're pretty much just wasting your time. Wouldn't it be great if the sermon or the teaching, whatever it is, lasted a week or a month? But even if this was a good sermon today, it won't last longer than Monday. God help us. Alistair Begg said, It's possibly charmed by the Bible being taught, but not changed by the Bible being taught. And we have millions of examples today. Millions of examples today across this nation in churches. Just listening. Just hearing. Not doing. And to drive home this importance of obedience, James compares the Word of God to a mirror. Those of you that study the Word, those of you that read the Word properly... You know what he means by that. You have a familiarity with, a, with the Scripture showing you yourself. And so he says in verse 23, that's a confusing couple of verses. We'll try to figure it out. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The main reason you have a mirror is to see yourself, right? And the reason you want to see yourself is you want to make yourself look presentable. You want to make sure you're clean. You want to make sure there's no spinach in your teeth or something hanging out your nose or whatever it is. There may be other reasons, but I can't think of any. When we look into the mirror of God's Word... We see ourselves for who we really are. But James says there's still some problems with that. Now look at the verse, all three of those verses. The word word look is used, but he uses two different Greek words. And I can't figure this out completely as to why he used these two words. So I ask our present Greek scholars, Pastor Greg or Paul Justino, if if you have questions about it. Don't ask me. But the, the, the first, in verse 23, he uses look. And in verse 24, he uses look. Kataneo, that's the, that's the Greek word he uses for that. And it means look. But then he, 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 he uses the word intently with it. So it's, a, it's, an intense, it's an intense look. And then in verse 25, when he says, look into the... The, um, where am I? The perfect law. Look into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Paracupto is the word he, he uses. And that's a, that, that's a more intense look. That's the, that's the word that's used in John. You know when Peter and John, the women tell uh, the disciples that um, Jesus rose from the dead and Peter and John had this race to see who could get there fastest? And Peter was leading the way, and then John caught up with him and got... And John first looks in the tomb, and that word actually means to stoop. And, so, and, and the Bible says, and John stooped to peer in, to look into the empty tomb. So there may be some more intensity in those two words. But there's, there's a connection with all of this, and it took me a while and to figure it out, I think I have. Which reminds me that I need to remind... This stuff doesn't just jump out at us. Or at least doesn't just jump out at me. This is hard for me too. I have to look intently into the Word. And frankly, I'm not very bright. and So I have to look at what others have to say about it as well. Those who intently study the Word better than I can. And you know how blessed you are to live in a day where you have the internet and you can go do the same Greek study I do. You can go read the same great commentators that I read. We have such a wonderful privilege these days. And I know some of you are thinking, but I don't even have a computer. I can't do that. Well, we've got a library full of those books. And so there's no excuse. You can do the same study. And now you're thinking, well, why did we have you then? So in verse 23, it says, For if anyone is a hearer 
of the word and not a doer. If anyone is a hearer, hearer only. That connects to verse 24, where he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. The word doer in verse 23, the doer connects to 25. He's the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. And there are a couple of things he wants us to know about that. We'll try to move through this quickly. About the hearer. Hearers look into the mirror of God's word. They don't do anything about it. It may be just a passing glance, but he does use the word intently, so it might be more than that. But they don't do anything about it. You see the word? Has no impact on their lives, apparently. And then he says, those people forget what they see. Certainly no impact on their lives. And apparently it's a heart matter because they've looked deeply into the Word. They looked intently into the Word. And this is the time of year, or at least three or four weeks ago, that some of you decide you're going to read through the Bible this year. You're going to do some sort of Bible reading plan. It started January 1st, and some of you probably have already failed in that commitment, but you, you, you're still trying. And you got you got all these chapters you got to read every day, and you just whip through those chapters. And you know, ten minutes later, if I asked you what'd you read, you'd say, I don't, know, "I don't remember what I read." That's what he's talking about. Looked into the Word and forgets what he looks like. I'd suggest that you look intently at one chapter, maybe one chapter for a couple of days. You can still do I'm not saying don't do your Bible reading plan. You can still do that. I do that. And you can hurriedly read through several chapters if you like. But, but Pastor Frank, I, I feel guilty if I didn't get through my Bible reading plan. I made a commitment. Now, you won't feel guilty long. You'll just feel bad you didn't meet your goal which is actually just your new obsession for the year. Look intently into the Word. Don't fret. I'm not saying quit your plan, but take part of it at least and dig deep and see what it says about you. See what it says about God. See what it says about Christ. See what it says about the Holy Spirit. See what it says about you. Be that, uh, be that righteous person that the psalmist in Psalm 1 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You look deep enough into your own heart, what you would see would be unforgettable. Most likely it would be heartbreaking, but it would be unforgettable. And ultimately it would be an exercise in freedom. He talks about that too. Remember, Isaiah comes face to face with the Lord God in Isaiah 6 and says, Woe is me, for I am undone. What happens when you see yourself in the Word? It's a big problem, forgetting what you see. Remember my comment about what a Super Bowl? 
You sit on the good teaching, you walk out, what's going on in your heart? Where are you watching the Super Bowl tonight? Five minutes after the sermon tells us what's going on in our hearts. And that's a willingness to turn away. That's intentional. And now before you start crying in guilt, I just want you to know it's not my goal to make you guilty over that. Because I do it too. Third problem with this, uh, James tells us, is not only do you forget what you looked at, you fail to obey what the Word tells you to do. Hearing is not the same as doing. We, we, we're good at substituting reading for doing, aren't we? We're good at substituting studying for doing. We're good at substituting talking uh, for doing. We're good at, at substituting attending church for doing. We'll go to a conference or we'll go to a worship service and think we've made some progress in our Christian life and there's nothing wrong with conferences, there's nothing wrong with worship services, but they're just wasted exercises and possibly even sinful if they keep us from doing what God does in our hearts. And what does he say about the doer? The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He'll be blessed in his doing. He shifts here from... He, from Calling the Word of God the Word, he, he calls it now the law of liberty. The law. The law of freedom. Something to be obeyed. After seeing ourselves, and we remember what we are. And God says, do the Word. Why is it call it the law of liberty? Perfect law of liberty. Because when we obey it, God sets us free. Psalm 119.45 says, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Jesus in John 8, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and truth will set you free. The law of liberty, the perfect law of of freedom. And so our responsibility is to receive the word and then we practice the word. Otherwise, we've just deceived ourselves, James says. So how can I be undeceived? By gazing intently into that perfect law. Law of freedom. I'll tell you this. Those Minnesota Viking fans in that stadium last week. After that touchdown, they didn't just say, okay, good, we won, we won the game, and walk out. They didn't say, oh, okay, great, we won the game, I'm going to go get the last beer. Nope. Oh, man, what did we just witness? What did we just see? I want to sit here for a while and just take it in. 
in their nice, comfortable, warm, covered stadium, their football sanctuary. They were amazed. They're going to tell their grandkids about that play. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay. Does the Word of God change us in such a way? No. Why does it not linger in our hearts? Well, the right response is again 25. Look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. You've got to stick with it. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's obedience to Christ's commands. The Old Testament law showed us our need for Christ. Then obedience to Christ himself. Because God gives us the power to obey it. But we persevere. Hear the word and obey. Not hearers only. It's interesting. Disobedient people, people who reject Scripture, reject um, what Christ has, has taught, to, uh, reject what Scripture has taught us, think they're free, right? Whoa, I don't have to do all that stuff the Bible tells me to do. Well, I'm free. I'm free at last. Thank God I'm free at last. They think they're free, but they're actually in bondage. Whereas obedient people sometimes may feel like they're in bondage, but Scripture teaches us we're actually free. James is, again, repeating what his brother said in John 8, 31. You abide in my word. You're truly my disciples. You know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Are you charmed by it? Are you changed by it? William Cooper or William Cowper, depending on how you want to say it, spelled like Cowper, but you can pronounce it Cooper. To see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child, and duty into choice. What a great hymn. There's much more greatness to that hymn. That's just the chorus. Why do some leave here changed and some don't? What's well, not the power of the sermon or the power of the preacher? Remember Matthew 13? It's all the same seed. It's all the same message. The farmer sowing the same seed. And the good soil is the picture of the hearts of those who receive the truth and then it's planted in the good soil and obey it. And then James says, and he is blessed as he does it. So we've got a good illustration. Hearing... Plus, doing equals blessing. That's what James is teaching us. The whole point is that believers must do more than hear the truth and know the truth. We must act on the truth. And then he closes out this chapter. Might not seem connected, but it is. And we've got to whip through this. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit or to look after, to care for orphans 
and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Religion meaning outward practice or service, the service of God is only used five times in the New Testament. That word religion has nothing to do with ceremonies, buildings, special days. Pure religion is practicing the word of God, James is telling us. And that all the, all the 19th century preachers and commentators that I read, uh, you know, J.C. Ralph, Charles uh, Spurgeon, yeah, all those guys in the 19th century, they use religion as synonymous with Christianity in their writings and their teachings. So it means practicing the word of God, sharing it with others through our speech, our service, separation from the world. And James suggested that there's three ways that you put that into practice. Three acts of obedience that really describe the, the, the three points of the rest of the book of James. That you have a bridal tongue, that you have a charitable heart, a helpful heart, a caring heart, and that you seek purity in your life. What you say? Unstained from the world. Seek purity in your life. And we will severely misunderstand these verses if we think that is all that religion entails. Just those three things. But let's look at them. Pride or tongue. Human speech, we'll see soon, in a chapter or so. Human speech is a big issue with James. And self-control is a sign of Christian maturity. So when he says bridal tongue, he uses both of those. Self-control and human speech. The two go together. He's talking here. It's the tongue that reveals the heart. And if the heart is right, the speech will be right. And he talks about a worthless religion. Religion that is... Pure, or this end of verse six. This person's religion is worthless. Uh, we see that in um, Isaiah 29, and the Lord said, "Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is the commandment taught by men." We see it in Matthew 15. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. We see it in Colossians 2. These have indeed the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Discretion in speech is better than fluency in speech. It's hard for a preacher to say those words. Discretion in speech is better than fluency in speech. So a bridal tongue is important. Charitable heart is important. He's not just saying taking care of orphans and widows is the only thing that the church of Jesus Christ should be committed to, should be focusing on. 
He is saying this is an example that the church should be carrying it basically. Our basic call is to care for the lowest of society. That's what doing the word is. It's an example of what doers do. Calvin says, James does not define generally what religion is, but reminds us that religion without the things he mentions is nothing. That was the attitude of Israel. The people that are reading this letter, they do understand this. Exodus 22, 22, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Deuteronomy 14:29 and the Levite because he has no portion or inheritance with you and the sojourner the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do and I want you to go home because we don't have time to do it just read all of Isaiah chapter 1 and it teaches much about this as well The people of Israel were to imitate God himself. In Psalm 68, verse 5, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. That may even be why in this verse, James actually uses the word father. Because he's giving us that instruction. One test, of just one of the tests of pure Christianity is the degree by which we give aid to the helpless. Whether they're widows or orphans or immigrants or homeless or special needs. And while I'm at it, The Christian commands throughout Scripture teaches us that the church of Jesus Christ must desire those people from those blank whole countries to come. Come to us. Come to us, you poor, because the church of Jesus Christ will care for you. Not those fools in Washington, D.C., but the church of Jesus Christ will care for you. Can we be obedient to Christ even in the most basic call of the church? That's got to be done properly and legally. That's a biblical command as well. But the care for the poor is the basic calling for the church of Jesus Christ. When you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Then lastly, he says, keep oneself unstained from the world. The world, that's a society without God. We're in it. We're just not of it. We're sent into it. To be obedient, to serve, to care for orphans. That's not an original thought with James. Not one bit is that an original thought with James. Actually, it came from his brother, Jesus. Back in Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not sure James heard his brother say these words. I suspect he didn't, but uh, maybe so. 
As Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount, he says, verse 24 in Matthew 7, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. If he hears these words of mine and he does those words, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the flood came and the winds blew. Did you all sing that song when you were kids? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise... You sang that? Okay. The rain... And you did the motions of the rains came down and the floods came up. Did you do that? Yeah. That's how, when I was a kid, that's how our teachers got us to get all that energy out, you know. Get, and he built it on the sand, the rains came down, the floods came up, and the foolish man's house went splat. Remember, you used to do that? I, that was my favorite part. I didn't know what the, I had no idea what the song meant, but I, I enjoyed that part for sure. The good thing about Grace on the Ashes, our kids know what that song means now. We have catechism. We make sure they know why they're singing those songs. I didn't know why one man was wise. I didn't even know what wise and foolish meant. And it's the man who hears the word and the word transforms him to act whose house is standing on the rock. There's a deceptive danger in churches where the truth of God is faithfully preached. We'll close with this. It's a deceptive danger where the word of God is preached. Word of truth, James calls it. For many walk away mistakenly with the idea that I'm sitting under a godly, gifted pastor and listening to a message and that's just going to automatically result in spiritual growth in my life. And that's a dangerous deception of the modern day church. You're self-deceived if you think that. Never think you're safe spiritually maturing just because you hear the Word of God. And I'm concerned with Grace on the Ashley. Preach expository sermons, intentional in teaching the Word to our children instead of playing games. Our classes focus on the Word of God. You can't come here without encountering the precious Word of God. But for many of us, probably most of us, not all of us, because I know what many of you are doing, we aren't acting on it. And that is nothing but pure rebellion against the very truth you claim is precious to you. My greatest fear is that those of you who hear so much do so little. Good news cannot be separated from good deeds. Martin Luther said, The world does not need a definition of religion as much as it needs a demonstration. If you're changed by it, you'll act on it. 
May God forgive our inactivity. And may God make us uncomfortable until we act. You think about that. Let's pray. We are grateful for your word, Lord.